When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. What is up? Welcome to another AMA. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm going to be answering your questions. And by the way, if you want to submit a question, you can do that at at lies. You can do that at AMA at impacttheory.com. Again, that's AMA at impacttheory.com. Use the subject line AMA question. And if you want to remain anonymous, make sure that you put that and then we'll keep you anonymous. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by the amazing, the talented, the people that I love every day and I'm just constantly eating their food, ButcherBox. These guys are absolutely amazing and they have an offer for you guys so that you can try it yourself and you can see why I'm such a fanatic for these guys. They're going to give you free filet mignon plus free bacon and $10 off your first box. Just go to butcherbox.com and enter the discount code IMPACT at checkout. I legitimately eat these guys seven days a week. I have become just absolutely addicted. The quality of the meat is insane, and I really trust that they're getting it from an amazing source. This is grass-fed and grass-finished beef, 100%. It's free-range, organic, and they even have a special breed of extra-tasty pork. These guys are just doing it right, in my opinion. I think what you eat matters so much, and what you eat ate also matters, and whether they're injected with hormones and stuff like that, and these guys are making sure that you're getting the cleanest meat possible, and their prices are crazy, and they've just come down. They are now just $6 a meal. You you get a personal selection of meats delivered directly to your door with free shipping if you live in the 48 contiguous United States. You just cannot go wrong. So go get your free filet. So go get your free filet mignon and your free bacon and your $10 off your first box right now. Just go to butcherbox.com and use the discount code IMPACT. That is I-M-P-A-C-T while you're checking out at butcherbox.com. All right, first question. Comic or tragic? My passion is stand-up comedy. I've been pursuing it for three years, and I've definitely gotten better since my first open mic. However, my biggest hurdle is my confidence. I feel very judged by other comics on the quality of my jokes, my stage presence, etc. Because of this, I feel I'm not progressing as fast as I want because I'm so scared. Once my set is over, I feel ashamed that I was so scared on stage. I... Am I am I afraid of them seeing the real me? How do I teach myself to love instead of hate the process of building my set in front of comics that I believe are judging me? All right, so here's the great news. Those comics are judging you, and some of them are really hoping that you're going to fail. Here's what you have to keep in mind. Never judge yourself through the lens of a moment. Judge yourself through the lens of a lifetime, and know this about humans. On a long enough timeline, you can get extraordinary at anything. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be equal, that as you put in energy and the person next to you puts in the same amount of energy, that you're both going to get the same result. There is such a thing as a natural predilection towards something. Some people pick things up faster than others. And I always tell people, don't 
worry about that. Worry about how much you love the process because the process is all that matters. You may never, you may never, much to my dismay, you may never become the hot comedian. But if you love the process of getting good at it, if you're open-minded, if you actually want to learn, if you're actual self-esteem, your pride is tied up not in whether you go out and kill as a comic, but whether you're able to move through the nights where you're just absolutely failing, that you can in the moment remind yourself that this is just practice, that when someone's heckling you, that you're actually looking at, hmm, are they right about something? Or if they're giving you that kind of negative feedback live, can you play with it? Can you do something with it? That's funny. Can you control your emotions? Can you look at the people that think that you're going to fail? Really listen to their message and see, is there something in here that's empowering that I can extract and learn from? If that that stuff, if that is the very basis of your pride, then this whole process is going to be amazing because you're going to feel better every time you're willing to stare nakedly at your inadequacies and grow and get better. And when you're in learning mode and you're not thinking about, was I good today? You're thinking about, am I learning? Am I growing? Am I doing the things that I need to do to improve myself? And that's the thing that gets you hyped. Then you're going to win because you'll stick at it long enough to really get great at it and you'll enjoy the process all along the way. And then even if you never hit the big time like you want to hit the big time, you still had an extraordinary time going through the process. And now, lean the fuck in. If you guys want the secret to success, here it is. This is a thing that I don't think people really understand. You've got to learn the strategy of becoming big at something, at reaching that level of success. There is an art to that. You can be the world's most extraordinary comic and still never make it anywhere. And the reason that people end up going and getting agents and managers is because what they're saying is, I just want to get good at the comedy. I don't want to have to think about anything else. But now, if that's the case, you're at other, other people's mercy because if they don't see in you what you see in yourself, or you're not even good at getting their attention, you struggle at that, maybe you suck at networking, who knows? But you're unable to get those people on your side, and you don't know how to play the game, then you're really in trouble. And this is something that I struggle with with people on my own team. They don't understand. At the end of the day, you've got to get fucking good at the game of comedy in this case, or in our case, building the studio. It It is a thing unto itself, not just being good and putting out a good show or creating a great comic. That fucking isn't the whole thing. That's only half the game. The other half of the game is understanding how to move the pieces on the chessboard, understanding how to think 10 moves ahead. And so whether the comedy part comes easy to you or not, maybe you can overshadow that because you're good at the the chess moves. You're good at knowing what club promoters you have to get to know. You're good at figuring out what time you need to go on stage. You're good at supporting the other comedians so they want to support you and they're giving you opportunities that you might not otherwise get or they're willing to pull you under their wing and teach you and help you get better. Like there are a thousand ways to come at this. So even if your natural talent isn't just going out there and naturally being funny and that part of it isn't effortless for you and you really have to struggle through it, there's this whole other fucking side that I swear to God the world is blind to and they don't realize that that is also a skill set that they can build up, that they could go and work on those things, the, the fucking hustle of it all, the, the strategy, the being 
really strategic and plugged into something and understanding how the game is played. And once you understand how the game is played, you can put aside your own emotions and the things that otherwise are going to hold you back and make you make a decision that isn't moving you forward. Like once you figure that side of things out, then you can really be great. Then you can lead yourself. You can lead other people. But you've got to fucking figure that out. You've got to understand that like the world isn't fair. The world doesn't act the way that you want it to. And you can't deal with the world the way that you wish it were. You have to deal with the world the way it actually is. And the people that really get somewhere in life, those are the people that understand that, man. They understand the nuances of the game. They understand people's personalities and how that plays into it. They understand how other people's insecurities play into something. They understand how other people's pettiness plays into something. They understand how to add value to somebody's life and that if they do that long enough, that it will come back to them at some point. They understand. Like all of this, when I say play the long game, All of this is wrapped up in that, like figuring all this shit out. And when you're able to figure that stuff out, you're going to absolutely fucking crush. Stop worrying about whether you're scared on stage. Fine, you're scared on stage. Do things to get past that. Do not beat yourself up over it. That is only going to make it worse. Don't worry about whether people are judging you. They are. Who the fuck cares? You're playing the long game. You're going to do this over a very long period of time, assuming that you are in love with the process. And if you're not in love with the process and you cannot face the idea of not hitting those milestones that you have in your mind that you think are going to make you feel cool about yourself, which they are not, because the only thing that will is your gut check about going full steam ahead through the shit. As Winston Churchill said, success is going from failure to failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. If you can cultivate that, you're going to win. All right. Nina Zari. Zari. I'm writing to you because I have lost my why. November 2016, I suffered a devastating sports loss in a semifinal game, and I pretty much haven't been the same since. The sport was my biggest passion, but since that day, I haven't been able to play without anxiety and overthinking. I berated myself into believing the loss was primarily my fault, and I no longer have it. This unfortunately translated off the field as well, and my confidence plummeted. It's now affecting my relationships and work, as I no longer speak with confidence and have become much more reclusive. To add insult to injury, I tore my ACL this past September and haven't been able to play since. How would you go about reigniting the fire and getting the spark back? All right, motherfucker, you ready for this? Literally, just yesterday, I talked to a Super Bowl champion, and this Super Bowl champion said, Tom... I need some advice. I have accomplished an insane amount of things in my life, things that I never knew that I would be able to accomplish. And each and every one of them felt like I was checking a to-do item off of a grocery list. And there was no joy. There was only emptiness at the end of it. And when I had accomplished everything I thought I ever wanted to accomplish, I realized one very sad fact. I had allowed my identity to become that of the athlete. And the reality is that was what I did, but it isn't who I am. And that is a very powerful insight. And my advice to him was, you get to choose what you value. You get to choose what you value yourself for. So I'll give you a gift. Just assume it really was your fault. You fucked it up. The whole reason you lost entirely you. Now I'll say this, who the fuck cares? Nobody really knows. Like, in the outside world, nobody's thinking about it. Sports pundits, maybe. But even they, like, they're thinking about their own family and what they've got going in their life and what's important to them and meaningful. You are not 
an athlete. That may be what you do, but it isn't who you are. You may have fucked up, but that again isn't who you are. Mistakes, failures, they're all things to learn about. The purpose of your life was not to win that match. And now that it's over, oh my God, your purpose is is gone forever and your confidence should be forever shot. Your confidence should be built in the following manner. And this was the advice that I gave him. Your pride, your confidence, your entire value system should be about progress. It should be about getting better. And if you show up every day and sincerely pursue something, that should be all that matters. So the things that you are checking off your list right now that you think are the things that your whole life is geared towards, being successful in that means that you're a valuable person and that your life has been worth living. But here's the reality. The success isn't guaranteed for anybody. The struggle is. So falling in love with getting better at something. That's the juice. So, hey, you've got an injury. Can you rehab it better than it's ever been rehabbed before? Can you see what you're made of as you go through that and prove to yourself that you're a badass? Not only did you get to an elite level in a sport, which is already awesome and was already about dedication, discipline, pushing yourself, growing and getting better. Now, hey, maybe that career is over. But who the fuck cares? You've got your whole life ahead of you to get great and extraordinary at other things you care deeply about. And sports, like being at the high level, is there anyone in any sport that's at the high level beyond their like mid forties? No, most sports tap people out in their early thirties, sometimes in the twenties, like esports. you're over the hill. If you're 25, it's crazy. And if you let your identity be tied up in that, then there's going to be a huge swath of your life that is going to be a wash in emptiness, but only if those are the things that you try to value. Now, the reason I say try to value is when they get there, you will feel empty because you will have accomplished it and you will realize this. You don't feel any differently about yourself. It's just like when you're in business and you think the goal is to get a bunch of money. I will tell you right now, if you win at your sport, yay, it's awesome. You'd be able to tell people. Same with money, yay, cool. It allows you to do things. In fact, it's much more valuable than um, you know a trophy or uh, setting a record because it actually has real um, value in the sense that it can facilitate things. But the money will not in any way, shape, or form make you feel differently about yourself. Whatever insecurities you have, you're going to keep having. Whatever positive things you think about yourself, you're going to think. You're not going to think them anymore because you have money. So the fascinating thing about earning your money is a lot of times along the way, you've had to learn to toughen yourself up. You've had to learn to be emotionally resilient and you'll begin to value yourself for those things. And so the money becomes this natural outcropping of this mental journey you went on to become resilient, to figure out how to be passionate, to fight through failure, to learn from failure. As I mentioned earlier, the um, Churchill quote, that you teach yourself how to maintain your enthusiasm, even though you're failing over and over and over. And that kind of thing, that is worth being proud of, doing all those hard things day in and day out. Then it's not attached to that outcome. And the greatest gift that I could give you would be for you to be more excited. Like when you cross a finish line that you're just already thinking about the next thing, because for you, it's about progress. It's about seeing how extraordinary you can become. And once you put all of your self-esteem and everything in that basket, that you're showing up every day, sincerely trying to get better than you were the day before at whatever, at being the best mom, the best dad, the best lawyer, the best athlete, whatever, doesn't matter, but that you're trying to show up every day and be 
awesome at something and push yourself to the limits. And so now that you've got the torn ACL, man, this is the perfect time to meet yourself, to make yourself proud, to put in that fucking work, to not worry about whether or not you ever get back and playing just to do the rehab. Like that rehab has never been done before that. You're just going to that animalistic place where you're pushing yourself, you're forcing yourself to grow and develop. If you do all of that and you tie your self-esteem up in that, you can't lose. Michelle Kessler. My question is regarding how to best break through my own self-sabotage habits and really alter my limiting beliefs and patterns. My habit is that I get really excited about a new book, idea, business, or project, put my heart into it, until about 70, 75% of the way. And then for some reason, I cannot seem to figure out but why sabotage my efforts either by quitting directly or deciding I can't do it. I know that you, Tom, claim that you were able to change your mindset through books and personal research. How did you do that? And do you think I need a coach or is there another way? Well, first of all, I think a coach could be amazing. So if you're even asking the question, that might be a perfect solution for you. Um, that isn't what I did. So the way that I went about this was believing fundamental things about humans and the human condition. That was a huge breakthrough for me. And I've been saying this for a while and I don't know if it's like hitting home with people, but this is like, I can't let go of it because I really believe that this is something that will benefit people. So, um, for me, I really had a hard time believing that I was special and anything that required me to believe that I could do something that other people couldn't do. It just like did not stay with me. I had all this anxiety around whether I was actually good enough to, outsmart or outwit or outperform other people that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I really had to figure out, or not even that I had to figure out. Thankfully, I made a decision about brain plasticity, which then led me down this path of just like assessing what is the human animal like? And that was the thing that really set me free. So the whole thing about uh, brain plasticity, this is in the late 90s when I was really struggling with this. And it was hotly debated as to whether or not people could learn new things as they got older. And I was in this position where I had failed as a filmmaker and I really felt like, oh my God, my entire identity is tied up in being naturally talented as a filmmaker. And here I am, I'm not naturally talented. And what the hell do I do with that? And so in trying to not fall into depression, I began to research the brain. And one of the topics that I came across was people saying that no brain plasticity really is real. And the science is outdated that says that we can't learn new things and that we don't get new brain cells and all of that. And so I was like, whoa, I'm going to choose to believe that even though it's hotly contested, I'm just going to choose to believe it because it's so much more empowering. So I, I allowed myself to believe that that was very beneficial to think that I can learn something that I set my mind to. So that allowed me to then put in the energy because people will not put in the energy if they don't think their efforts are going to be rewarded. So allowing myself to believe that my efforts were going to be rewarded, I began to pour myself into things. So that was huge. And then also just thinking about humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. So what we are designed to do is grow, get better, adapt. So I thought, okay, cool. Then all I need to do is believe that I am the average human. The average human is capable of such radical transformation that simply being human means that I, them, am capable of that same radical transformation. Okay, so that was the framework with which I got myself in a position where I could see things through. Why? Because when I stopped believing in myself, I was like, hey, maybe you're not wrong to not believe in yourself, but, but, and this is the key, 
just because you're not good enough yet doesn't mean that you won't ever be good enough. So there are often times where I feel overwhelmed by the task of building the next Disney. I think, oh my God, I am not at all the person that I need to be to pull this off. But I am so ravenously, (laughs) I believe in it so ravenously, that's not really a sentence, but you get the point. I believe in that so much that I keep going because I know that I can figure it out. So I shift away from worrying about whether or not I I can execute against it right now. And I start asking myself, what are the skills that I'm lacking and how do I go out and get those skills? All right, next up, Nicole Nadera. My goal this year was to become the valedictorian of our year group. I aimed high. However, I know it wouldn't be easy since there's a lot of competition. Recently, I've been putting in the work, the time, and the effort to study and do better in my classes. However, when the weekend comes, I find myself less productive. On Fridays and Saturdays, I don't want to do anything but watch TV or use my phone. However, the guilt kicks in, and then I start working on Sundays. I want to take the path to achieve my goals and attain success. But with this, I know that I need to be constantly focused and determined. How can I deal with this? Any advice? is very much appreciated. All right, so here's where we're going to get real, real about goals. So first of all, make sure that your goal is something that you give a shit about and you care deeply about it because goals require sacrifice. They require you to be all the fuck way in. Like you're going to have to go ham. That doesn't mean that you never take a breather and in fact, listen to your body. And if there's a time where you need a break, take that fucking break. But man, let me tell you, if you're trying to be the best in your year, you're going to have to pay a price more extraordinary than anybody else is willing to pay. And God forbid there are people that are just naturally smarter than you because then you're really going to have to outwork those motherfuckers. So it is not an easy task that you have placed before yourself. But if you really believe in it, man, you were talking to the wrong person. If you want me to let you off the hook and say, just chill. If you really want that, go after it. Pour yourself into it. Be willing to break yourself in half to get that thing. Now, don't make yourself sick. I think that's just stupid. But I have given myself over to the things that I want to accomplish in life. And My friend, that is the most emotionally rewarding thing I have ever done to really be all in at something and go all out and know that nothing is going to stop you. There is nothing more intoxicating than that feeling. And really, truly being a Goggins level badass at something, that shit feels so good. So I fully respect that that's the path that you want to take. And if you want to take that, you got to go all out. You got to get after it. And it's going to be all about identity. You've got to have the identity of somebody who does that. You have to have the identity of somebody who is going to make their goals happen no matter what. You're not going to let anything stop you. You've really got to have bright lines. So it's like, hey, if you want to take Saturday off and do your thing, but you know that you're going to work on Sunday, awesome. Then it's like, cool, Saturday is my play day. Sunday is the day. No matter what, under no circumstances do I slack off and I'm back at it. And you've got bright lines around the times that you're going to be putting in the effort and you're going to put in your effort all the way. So those are two of the things that are going to get you there. And then another one that I will say is obviously it's all about the skills and making sure that you're actually learning the things that you need to learn. That's the key. So it's not just about like going ham and making sure that you're working your ass off. That is a huge part of it. But the other part is actually making sure that you get good. Natasha Shivani. 
I love the concept of leveraging your pain to motivate you and push yourself to change. I've really been trying to apply this to my life. Recently, I've had emotional pain, which leaves me frequently feeling physically ill and is paralyzing me, which is turning me, which is turning into a huge obstacle. So with this context, my question is, can you leverage all different types, causes of pain to motivate you? I know positively reframing your narrative is one technique you might recommend and 20-80 ratio of feeling negativity. Do you have any other suggestions of coping with the physical aspect of throwing up from upsetness? So one, it, it is amazing to me. Thank you. I feel very heard right now um, that people are basically removing uh, my common answers to questions. Um, so I appreciate that. It definitely makes me feel like people are really beginning to learn um from that stuff. And then the fact that you're pushing me and saying that it's still an issue uh, is really making me think more about what are some other ways to deal with this. So I think that what's happened is you are now experiencing one of the brain and body's most amazing um, abilities, which is to hardwire and experience on a physical level something that really originated as a thought. And so one, just understanding how powerful that loop is, um, I think is really important for people. And you can do or take advantage of that same wiring process on the flip side. So you can begin to wire a positive feeling, something that's uplifting, something that will make you feel lighter um, versus, you know, getting so upset that you throw up. But you're going to have to do the hard work of unwinding that. And the way that we unwind things is largely by creating a new behavior. So um, really atrophy is the only thing that unwinds something. So we're going to have to insert a new reaction, a new belief. And I think that the most effective strategy for that is cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. Uh, I really do need to formalize my knowledge on this so that I can be a better um, explainer, but I'll give it to you roughly. So cognitive behavioral therapy largely exists around pattern interrupts. So you have a pattern, you get upset, it begins to manifest physically, which then you worry about. So you're worrying about how it manifests um, physically. And so that only exacerbates the symptoms, which is how we get into this death spiral that ultimately leads you in throwing up because you're getting upset. So you're going to have to begin to identify the narrative that's playing in your head, um, either catastrophizing. So uh, you think that, you know, whatever this thing is, has happened to you instead of being um, something that um, say I've put a lot of work into realizing that basically everything, um, the phrase that I use is this too shall pass. So whatever feeling, whatever horrible event um, has happened, instead of investing in how bad it is or how it has some global uh, calamity associated with it, like, oh, I messed this thing up. Let's say that I went and gave a talk and I was on stage and I messed up. And it's like, man, these people are, are never going to want me to speak again. This is going to get out on social media and people are going to realize that I'm not gifted at speaking. Um, people aren't going to be motivated by me anymore and I'm going to lose followers and then I'm going to lose influence. And without influence, I'm not going to be able to launch the studio. Without the studio, all of my dreams will have come crumbling down and, and you know all of my identity being tied up in my ability to learn and make this happen. It all fell apart in this one moment from this one speech. Okay, that's an example of catastrophizing. You're reading into some future scenario. You're making it way bigger um, than it really is. And that would be to fan the flames of that panic in my own mind. So what I do instead is let's say that I were up on stage and I fucked up. First of all, if I'm in the middle of it and I realize that I fucked up, what I start doing is I say, this is amazing. This is my opportunity to claw my way from a deficit and practice 
That's a huge thing that I think you need to start using that I'm going to practice getting myself out of this. Now, why do I say that the word practice is important? Because that is a powerful reminder that everything in life is really just practice. There is no ultimate performance. There is no moment that your entire life hinges on. There's only opportunities to practice. So there's opportunities to practice when the pressure is on. There's opportunities to practice when you've messed up, but it's not, I never allow myself from a narrative perspective in terms of what I'm saying in my own head, what I'm telling myself about that moment or my life. I never allow myself to believe, oh my God, this is it. Everything's riding on this moment because that's how you then hardwire it and you get really freaked out and the anxiety just continues to escalate. And then if I found out afterwards, and there's nothing that I can do now to take it back, I just remind myself that this too shall pass. This feeling, this backlash, this failure, whatever, the sting of the defeat, the um, whatever impact that it may have on my career, because it really may um, slow me down. It really may be a stumbling block. It may be something that I'm ultimately going to have to overcome. It's not pretending that things don't have consequences, but it is recognizing that nothing is ever as good as you want it to be, and nothing is ever as bad as you fear it is. And so using the mantra of this too shall pass. This bad feeling shall pass. I will once again feel light. I will once again be excited and optimistic. I just know that. And so repeating that in my head, that this is practice, that this too shall pass, like those things really help interrupt that narrative of catastrophizing and making things bigger than it needs to be. So I would start doing that. Then once we have the pattern interrupted, we're going to start using things like gratitude for all the things that you do have. So instead of, you know, really investing... excuse me, into the emotion of this bad thing, this bad moment, you're going to emotionally invest in things that you're grateful for. So all of a sudden, through repetition of doing that, every time something goes wrong, you're forcing yourself into the mindset of gratitude. You're forcing yourself to think of things that you've done well, things you're grateful for in your life. Suddenly, a negative thing becomes a habit loop trigger for something positive. And so oddly enough, through that same rewiring and repetition process, even the failure becomes a this moment of like, not quite excitement, but it becomes, you know, something good is coming and you can feel that in the loss. And so that has been really powerful in my own life of knowing that, oh, cool, I'm going to do all these mental gyrations and I'm going to put myself back in this really positive place. So when I mess up, it's like, I know I'm going to get stronger from this. And that mindset comes so quickly after the sting of the failure, the mistake, the embarrassment, whatever, that that's even hardwired in. So um, I'm not saying that I don't have the, the sting of that, that I don't feel those things, but I am saying that they are very short lived and those aren't the things that live in my body, the things that live in my body are how rapidly I'll slip into optimism, gratitude, um, you know, the calming effects of meditation. Like I know all that stuff's coming. And so I can feel that even in the background in those moments of pain. So that's a lot. Hopefully uh, that all made sense because it's insanely powerful. It changed my life and hopefully it will change yours. Leah Schmallenberg. When it comes to matters that involve free will, specifically falling in love and finding chemistry in a relationship, what are the tangible steps I can take? People always say make vision boards, think positive, etc. But when there is no physical action steps to achieve that goal, what can I do in the meantime? Wait, that doesn't make sense for me and and I wanted your opinion. I'm getting mixed messages on meditating with intent, visualization, etc. Is that the same as the law of attraction? Is it a waste of my time? So 
Um, my messaging around the law of attraction is this. Half of it is amazing and half of it is bullshit. The half that is amazing is that you really can prime your mind, meaning if you're being optimistic, if you're thinking positive, if you believe things can happen for you, if you believe that putting in the work is going to get you a result, that belief means that you then will actually go and take the actions that you need. Whereas if you believe that no matter how hard you work, it's never going to happen for you, then you're never going to work and find out that it actually does work. That if you put in the work, you can get better. And having skills is ultimately what it's all about. And when your skills allow you to do things other people can't do, then you can make magic happen in your life. But the part of the law of attraction that's bullshit is thinking that simply thinking about it is going to make it happen. It is not. You're not going to think your way to a parking spot. You're not going to think your way to a million dollars. You're going to execute your way to a million dollars. That's the reality. So you need both a positive mindset. You need optimism. You need to think that your energies and efforts will be rewarded so that you then go put in the energy and the effort. So that is absolutely critical. Now, you said that sometimes there aren't positive steps that you can take. I literally cannot think of a single example where there isn't something that you can do to move towards your goal, even if it's falling in love, which should be the one that seems the most implausible. But the reality is, first of all, becoming somebody worthy of being in a relationship with, which is the first step to actually getting the proximity and the intimacy that then can develop into love, like that is certainly a step that you can take in the right direction. So even in something like that, I think there's always something that we can be doing. So in your life, don't ever allow yourself to believe that you're not in control. Don't ever allow yourself to believe that there isn't something that you can do to make the outcome better, to even just learn. Like, if there's nothing you can do other than change the way that you think about what's happening to you, fine. You can still change the way that you're thinking about what's happening to you. So, you know, if you get into a horrible car accident and you're paralyzed and there's nothing you can do to unparalyze yourself, well, first of all, I would say that have you really gone and, like, availed yourself of all the research and started to figure out maybe you have the breakthrough inside that allows people to fix spinal injuries. That's certainly one option. Um, you may say, okay, I'm not willing to do that. Fine, maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe that isn't the contribution that you want to do. But then you can reframe what's happened to you and start asking yourself, how is this thing that I perceive to be the worst thing that ever happened to me, how's it actually the best thing that's ever happened to me? Is it giving me empathy? Is it teaching me something that I can then teach to others? Can I lighten the burden of somebody else? Like in all of that, even that, you can begin to take steps to actively change your mindset, to reframe the incident. And that stuff is powerful. So I really believe there is always, always, always something that you can do to, at a minimum, reframe the situation. And I think the vast majority of the time, there's something that you can do to acquire a skill that would be tremendously useful, even something like love. Eric Macias. I had a stroke two years ago at the age of 27, the same year I was expecting my first child. I read the Can't Hurt Me by, book by David Goggins and it inspired me to find my own way to keep myself accountable to what I should be doing every day to recover. My son is a huge reason and when I spend time with him, it builds a fire under my feet to keep pushing. But I have my days where I get lazy to do the work. How can I keep myself accountable to always be doing what I should be doing to get better? All right, here's the reality, man. You've got to find a way, like your son, to really, really be excited about what you're doing. So the actual act, like you guys heard me talk about um, my cold showers, like you've got to find a way where the act itself makes you feel good. So cold showers make me feel like an absolute fucking badass. And in terms of earning credibility with myself, in terms of it having been one of those things that like I was 
not phobic of, I'm phobic of swimming in the open ocean. But I, I'm not even phobic of that. Fuck that. And one day, I'm sure I will embark on that challenge. But I really don't like the idea. Cold water, though, is second only to that. I really didn't want to do it. I've talked endlessly about how it's tied to my anxiety. And when I finally did it, I thought, man, you fucking did it. This is something that you really didn't want to do, but you took it on as a challenge to do something hard and you did it. You said you were going to do it and you did it. And that is what credibility is all about. And then on the days where I feel weak and I still do it, those are the days that I'm really like, yo, you're just willing to do things that other people can't. And the other day, it was probably two days ago. I really didn't want to get in the cold water. And I turned it on and I had a rush of, it wasn't panic, but when I say that it was just this side of panic, we're just like, it was too much. I wanted to get out and I grabbed a hold of my mind. I slapped it around and I said, you're going to stand in this cold water and you're going to stop being a bitch about it. And you're just going to deal with this cold water. And that's what I did. And it was amazing. And when I got out of that shower, I felt differently about myself. I feel differently about myself right now just telling you about it. So doing things that are hard, but being excited about it so that that very thing gets you amped up. That's what you have to do. Now, you obviously already have that with your son. Now you're going to need what's going to be that other thing. Is it going to be aggression? Is it going to be people that have expected you to fail your whole life? Is it going to be somebody who said, if you keep living like that, you're not even going to see your kid live, you know, to get married or go to college or whatever. Like whatever you need, man. If this is a a dark side moment, lean on that fucking dark side. If this is an accountability mirror thing, talking about David Goggins book, then you need to hold yourself accountable. You need to look in the mirror and say that you didn't do it today. And that's not okay that you expect more from yourself than that. And then... Secret of secrets. Sometimes you just got to give yourself a little grace. And I'm not going to lie. When it came to this 30, technically 30 shower challenge, um, because there have been days where I missed it, not because I took a warm shower, because I took no shower, but I, 30 showers is going to fucking happen with cold water, period, simple as, bright line, under no circumstances, Under no circumstances, I would go to a talk smelling like 10 pounds of ass before I would take a warm shower. If for some reason I couldn't take a shower without it being warm, I'm not joking. I have such bright lines in my life. I would um, douse myself in lye before I would take a warm shower, before I've taken 30 consecutive cold showers. So you got to hold yourself to a standard. But if we're not talking bright lines and life happened and you have to just show yourself a little grace on that day, as long as you get back at it, man, don't beat yourself up over that stuff. Like sometimes it's like you just have to say, here's my standard. I'm going to live up to that. You know what? I slipped up. I own that. I'm not letting that be an excuse for me to now fall off the wagon and, you know, totally undo everything, but rather than become further paralyzed by the fact that I fucked up, I'm just going to own it and I'm going to move forward. And that's why I think the accountability mirror can be powerful. You face it, you accept it, you move on. But the whole goal has got to be to just keep improving, keep doing better day after day. All right. Roland Coutinho.
In a recent IG post, you talked about empty dreamers versus dreamers with drive. I am an empty dreamer. I have a vision of being a mindset coach, a motivational speaker, but I have not taken steps towards it. I have a corporate job, which I hate at the moment, but am not financially stable to quit and venture out on my own. I exercise every day, meditate, work on my mindset by listening to podcasts and audiobooks, and these give me drive and determination in the moment, but I'm mentally drained when I return home from work and lack the drive to do anything about my goals. This is quite ironic since I have visions of being a mindset coach. How do I go from empty dreamer to a dreamer with drive? Okay, Um, first of all, let me address the um, dreamer with drive thing. So dreamer with drive means that you're beginning to build an identity that makes demands of you from an action-oriented perspective. So you're gonna say things like, I do not just do empty dreams. When I have a dream, I immediately begin building a plan. And then every day I do something, no matter how big, no matter how small, but I'm doing something to move towards that goal. And every day I'm holding myself accountable to whether I'm actually making progress. And by the way, you probably don't want to do that every day, but you should be looking at that monthly for sure, maybe even weekly and saying, did I actually move forward? Like, I thought this might work, but is it actually working? And if you're saying that stuff and you're building your identity around that and you're building your value system, you have to choose to value action so that what you actually feel good about is taking action, so that taking action is exciting because you've built so much energy around valuing it, about caring about it, and now you're holding yourself accountable to that. You can use the David Goggins accountability mirror if you have to, but you're doing something so that you feel good on the days that you did what you said you were gonna do, And then the other thing is pay your passions first. Wake up early. Do it for an hour before you go to work. That is very doable. You're going to have to go to bed early. But I'm telling you right now, you want to talk about something I have no fucking sympathy for when people are like, man, I just can't. I can't get up an hour early. Fuck that noise. I built a billion dollar business going to bed at 9 p.m. at night like it was a religion and waking up before most of the world without setting an alarm because you will eventually catch up on your sleep and you're going to stop sleeping a stupid amount of hours. And suddenly, if you go to bed at nine or go to bed at eight if you have to, you're going to start waking up with plenty of time to spend an hour focused on your dream, doing it first So that that's the thing that gets time and energy. And then, by the way, what are you doing with your weekends? I think if you started keeping a time journal and documenting everything down to either the 15-minute or the 30-minute increment of exactly what you're doing, you're going to find that you waste a lot of time and that every day you probably waste more than an hour. And I'm talking more than an hour during optimal times. So keep that journal, figure out exactly how you're spending your time, build a ton of like energy into valuing taking action so that you feel good about yourself when you do it. That's how we're going to gamify that. And then the other thing I want to address now is the motivational speaker. I really wish for people's own sanity, they would stop wanting to be a motivational speaker. And instead, let that part of your life, if that's something that you love, let that take you completely by surprise. What you want to be a motivational speaker about are the things that you learned by going and doing that thing that you love. So, so often now, especially because of social media, people like jump right to the, I want to talk. Man, let me tell you what's powerful is learning. Go out and learn. What else are you passionate about? What do you want to do or learn or 
or if you just cannot bear to do anything but public speaking, then set your goal. Don't worry about being a motivational speaker. Say, I'm going to become the best speaker in the world. And then your motivational speaking becomes about your journey to become the best speaker in the world. But don't just go talk about motivation in the beginning, man. Go like learn some other crazy subjects. Go become a memory champion. Go like pick, become a salsa champ. Do something. Find something that requires you to do hard shit. Why? Because in doing that hard shit, you're going to learn about yourself. You're going to figure out the strategies and the techniques that you had to do to get you where you wanted to go to win that thing. And let me tell you, there's nothing worse than a motivational coach who feels like a sham because they're not going to be able to bring the noise. So take somebody like Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins basically got famous being a motivational speaker by being a motivational speaker. But because Tony is one of the greatest, he may be the GOAT. What made Tony amazing, he understood people. This motherfucker spent so much time growing to understand psychology, growing to understand human behavior, that that's what made him extraordinary. So he was like deep into NLP. He was like deep into everything that he could get his hands on to learn and better understand people. So he had this other thing that he was going way deep on that he was learning about so that he could bring real value to people, which should be what you're focused on. So instead of saying that you want to be a motivational speaker, what result do you want to help people get? You want to help people transform? Okay. Now, if we know that's what we're, we're really about, it's not about empty motivation, which is going to lead you to want to be a hype man. I want to help people actually transform. Okay. In what way? What do you want to help people with? Depression, anxiety, marriages? Like what's going to be your shtick? business, go learn about that thing that you're going to teach people. Now you can start teaching people along the way if you just love it so much and you've got to get out there and do your thing, but make sure that you're going ham to be able to add value to their life in a way that will be meaningful for them. That isn't just empty hype that that's, uh, I can't tell you the reason that I'm able to stand in front of a crowd and go hard. And honestly, some part of me does not give a shit what people think because I know every fucking word out of my mouth is gospel truth. I've lived it. I've used it. These are the things that I had to do to my mind in order to get where I got. And I got somewhere. So it's like, yo, believe me or not, that's on you. I know it worked at least once and there ain't shit you can tell me about whether or not it's effective for me. So the only claim I will make is I did this and it had this result. That's it. But when you have that confidence, man, you can fucking go up and rock a mic. But if you don't, if you're like, I read this and it sounds interesting. I don't know, man. That does not sound like a fun way to live your life to me. Like, But going and getting real skills that have massive and immediate application that you can identify and work your ass off to build that set of skills. And here's my like obsession to get people to understand this about skills. The reason the skills are rad. They let you do things. Skills let you do things. So when you have a skill set, you can do things other people cannot do. And so my favorite example is an architect. An architect goes ham to figure out how to build structures, how to make spaces you know, flow, and how to make things beautiful. And because they can do that, they can build a building that will stand up, that will provide people shelter, that will give them a home. That's a real skill. Like they learned how to do that. They know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. So I can't build what they can build. And if people would get that acquiring skills is not about checking a box, acquiring skills is about learning to do something that has real utility. All right, I'm gonna leave it at that. Thank you guys so much. Until next time, my friends. 
be legendary. Take care.